Hey everybody and welcome to another Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and this week on our panel we have, in no particular order, James Edward Gray. He is uh, one of the organizers of the Red Dirt Ruby Conference. He wrote the TextMate book and the Faster CSV library and does a whole bunch of other cool stuff for the community. Welcome, James. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, we have Peter Cooper, who is totally awesome. Rock and roll. <laughs> he uh, he does Ruby Inside, um, Ruby Weekly, JavaScript Weekly. He's also one of the co-hosts for the Ruby Show and the JavaScript Show. And I think I forgot something, but I don't have my notes in front of me. Welcome, Peter. Hey. Um, we also have uh, Josh Susser. And uh, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I don't remember anything. Why don't you introduce yourself for oh, us, Josh? That hurts. That, oh, Josh, that's terrible. Oh, man. I, 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 I got to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what, what, let's see. I'll just introduce myself as that guy who blogs at hasmany3.com, and I'm an organizer of the Golden Gate Ruby Conference. Yes. All yeah, right. So, Josh, if for anyone who doesn't remember the history of Rails, Josh wrote the famous, how the hell does Hasmanyan belong through work? That was his famous post, as I recollect. That was, what, 2005? Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what it was titled. And uh, and he's been living off that success ever since. Yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know a whole lot about Dr. Nick other than he works at Engine Yard. Uh, he, co- or he founded uh, Mokra or Makra in um, Australia. And he's, he's written a whole bunch of uh, blog posts that I've read over the years. Yeah, I, I'm a dabbler. I dabble. I've dabbled. He has about 1,000 gems. I yeah, think. I have uh, hundred something open source projects, uh, corresponding number of blog posts, and uh, uh, yeah, I just I just play and uh, have a track record of doing things that uh, turn out to be not that useful. He's a oh, I believe the correct word for that is dilettante. <laughs> Josh, I like your terminology. I'm coming to you now for my personal uh, uh, marketing. Uh, feel free. I have very reasonable rates. Excellent. <laughs> All right. And I'm Charles Maxwood, and I am the host of the Teach Me to Code podcast and screencasts, as well as the Rails Coach podcast. And of course, we have this podcast. And uh, I think that's it. We're going to be talking about uh, corporate sponsorship. And I think I think that's what I, the- I, I should introduce my bias at this point in time for the audience, since I don't think we introduced it before, so that. Well, do you have some longer introduction on this, or can yeah. I just go for it? No, go ahead. So, uh, my job is at VP yeah. of Technology at Engine Yard, and we're the sponsors of, of uh, you know, and have been the sponsors of many open source projects. Currently, it's what Rubinius, JRuby, Fog. In the past, it's been Rails Three, Bundler, and, and other things. So I know. Uh, so yeah, as we whatever, however this conversation goes, understand. I'm here to spruik. No. <laughs> I totally thought he was going to declare undying, undying love to Heroku. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's kind of what we were talking about, you know, off off uh, off chat and on the on the mailing list that we were emailing back and forth. Basically, we were talking about Matt's joining Heroku. You know, Nick, why didn't you guys think of that? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, so you can imagine that uh, the conversation, the idea of, of uh, Engine Yard, you know, sponsoring lots of different projects, uh, sponsoring Matt's, I'm sure, has come up around the water cooler. And we actually have a water cooler, so that's not that erroneous to suggest that, even though it is in a corner and very hard to have co- your water cooler conversation around. It is not the best water cooler, I'll be honest, for its purpose of being a uh, social, uh, you know, 
gathering point. Nonetheless, um, obviously, Engine has thrown a lot of money at uh, two alternate implementations, and, right. I, and uh, because yeah, for various reasons, and uh, ultimately, we think that uh, JRuby is just you know a wonderful place for for uh, for a whole, whole group of people coming to Ruby, and uh, and and now the state of JRuby is really it's a pretty awesome place to run production, you know, long-running apps. Uh, Rubinius is, has just been a, a labor of love uh, for certainly, the, obviously, the Rubinius people, but uh, as part of Engineer's DNA, they've sponsored that for, what, four and a half years now? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine possibly at this stage, Matt's may not be a big fan of alternate implementations. I don't know if he's ever truly he said so much, but um, something like Rubinius... Uh, uh, he, I'm not sure whether he, he where his thoughts are publicly, but you know perhaps coming to engine yard might have been a conflict of somehow. Just to clarify, um, my understanding is that Matt's is very fond of the alternative implementations, and that that he feels like um, it helps uh, find problems in Ruby, and and the teams do have a pretty good reputation for working with each other and stuff, so that. I think mostly the environment has been pretty friendly. I, I and I, I do understand, James, and I do agree. But for the sake of, of having somewhat of an interesting conversation here, uh, I, I feel the need to at least take some uh, pointed uh, <laughs> position so that this is not boring. Right. So, so Nick, and can you tell us, like, well, has Matt has Matt ever used Rubinius? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm going to assume no. I'm going to say no. Certainly, he's not a committer. It's not, he doesn't have a commit bit. That's not So, uh, yeah, that's inexcusable. It is. <laughs> it is. Maybe I should send him a Rubinius T-shirt or something. You know. Yeah. I, I think he has his own distribution of Ruby to work on, though. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> he does kind of. Have some. Uh, everyone wants to do it themselves. That's the problem in this world. <laughs> yeah. Too many people forking. Too many forks. <laughs> yeah, big NIH there. You know, not invented here. Exactly. All right, so so, uh, so let's go ahead and jump in on on the the corporate sponsorship uh, bit a little bit because I'm a little curious. I, I think a lot of people see the benefits that a company might get from sponsoring a particular project, as well as the developer obviously you know being sponsored by a company to develop an open source project. Um, but I'm not so clear always on what the pros and cons are for the community having a sponsored developer on a project. Thoughts well, on that? Uh, the, so, yeah. so this 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 is Josh, and I I want to say that there, I don't think that I, I think Ruby is um, is somewhat unique in the fact that it's uh, one of the most popular languages around today, and yet up until this point, it hasn't really had a corporate sponsor. To, you know, yeah, for the Ruby, yeah, Ruby itself, I don't believe yeah, has yeah, ever Ruby. had. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah. AT&T sponsor it to some degree through Aaron Addison, but I th- the, think that's the, more the, the standard libraries itself. There's absolutely a lot companies out there like AT&T and like Engine Yard. You know, uh, love, right. I, I love the work that Engine Yard has supported, or, or that, that Engine Yard has supported so much work around the Ruby ecosystem. But the core language itself, you know, you know, has not been has not had a corporate sponsor up until now. And if you compare that to you know, PHP had Yahoo. Uh, you know, Google sponsors Python. You know, Java, of course, came from Sun. The, you know, all the all the big major languages out there that have significant adoption have gotten there partly because they had corporate support. 
and I think it it says a lot about Ruby and that it was able to become so popular without that kind of support. Is it worth talking about? Does anyone have an opinions on why MRI uh, has not attracted, you know, corporate sponsorship? Matt's is employed though, is he? Is he not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Matt's is, is retaining his two uh, jobs, uh, two other jobs, and, and he's called grants. Um, I assume, therefore, he's con- going to continue working on right and, and other things. Right, yeah, it's an open, so- open source and, company in Japan. Yeah, there's a, there's some interesting co- culture issues there about I've you know rumors or suggestions that Japanese country, companies themselves aren't big into you know sponsoring open source. They like to use this stuff, but somehow they you know, they haven't. Uh, this, uh, you know, as a group, perhaps haven't gelled with the premise of, of sponsoring open source, which, given you know Ruby being based there, is perhaps affects it in some way. Um, I, I was, you know, not, I, yeah, fascinated by why why companies haven't been picking it up. Well, that's. I think that's an interesting question to discuss in general. I mean, you know, it's hard to see sometimes what companies get. I mean, even AT and T Interactive, which pays Aaron to work on Rails full time. And and Engine Yard is probably more obvious what you guys gain out of sponsoring uh, JRuby and Rubinius and that you're cultivating very robust production environments, which obviously helps you with some of your core goals. And so those are my assumptions of why you would do that. Yep. Um, but and the same when we sponsored Rails, I mean, which is personally before my time, but I'm going to say this like I was here the whole time. Um, you know the reason you sponsor Rails is because that was that was kind of Engine Yard's thing. You know, Rails was was what all our customers were on, and we had to make sure that that Rails was going to be the the platform of web platform of choice, so that uh, people built Rails apps so they could become our customer. So sometimes you got to just invest in, even though the technologies themselves are you know uh, free and open source, they're still core technologies. They just happen as part of your platform. They just happen to be out in the open. But it is sometimes hard to see, like, the direct benefit. I mean, AT&T Interactive, I mean, they, they don't have, you know, any kind of direct guarantee, I assume, that, that you know, the things Aaron does in Rails directly help their Rails apps. You know what I mean? No, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, the other guys at AT&T who Aaron works, yeah, has worked with or works has worked for in the past, um, you would assume that... Uh, at least it's in their plan to upgrade all their apps to the latest 3.1 and et cetera, et cetera. Though, um, I mean, that's obviously for their their, their engineering teams to uh, to make that choice. Yeah, but, okay. you know, he's- yeah, that's true. But at the same time, if you're employing somebody like Aaron and he's committing regularly to Rails and understands the internals and, and things like that, then you also not only gain like features in Rails that you're going to want to use in the future, but you also gain an expert that's on your payroll that is somewhat beholden to you to help you out if you run into a problem. And there, there is that there as well. Uh, that, that is correct. And another one is that you become a, a place. Uh, it's a, an employee attraction tool to some degree. Ah, oh, Aaron's there. Well, I'd love to go and work at AT&T if Aaron's going to you know, be around. Imagine how cool it would be to work with Aaron. Although the pictures he shows look a lot like his kitchen. Uh, on Twitter, so I'm not sure whether Aaron, whether working with Aaron means you have to get to have, you know put on funny hats and, and work from his kitchen. But you know, I assume there's there's that aspect of it as it goes along with it. As um, certainly this um, this marketplace where where the IT market or the tech marketplace seems to be somewhat independent of the recession we're all supposed to be having, and finding great staff is challenging. 
you know, you look mm-hmm. at companies like GitHub where they, they cultivate um, a, a facade to the, oh, I'm not saying it's a false facade, but they, they cultivate their image as a place where you'd want to be a developer. You know, people want to go and work at GitHub. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly that's, you know, another outcome of, of what we do. You know, we want people to want to come and work at Engineer at all levels. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, I, I think it's interesting too that uh, as as the companies give to these developers, you know, they they basically give them a salary to work on these open source projects, and you know, they get these various um, benefits. I think I think there's also the payoff for the developer themselves because you know most of these developers aren't just working on some project because other people are using it. They're working on a project because they're passionate about it, because they they care about what it is, what it does, what it stands for. And it's interesting that they then get the opportunity to be able to, you know, do what they're passionate about all day long. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, uh, uh, take Yehuda Katz for, for an, as an example, very passionate about some of his visions for what a, a Ruby-based web stack uh, should be like in terms of modularity. Um, back in the day, they, you know, he and, and many other people weren't able to get those ideas into Rails. Hence, MERB became sort of the target, uh, you know, uh, code base of choice to try and implement some of those ideas. Um, eventually, they, they were allowed to, you know, work directly against the Rails code base, and then they went on the two-year, uh, what became the two-year project to, um, to, you know, the rewrite of, of Rails from the inside out. And, uh, you know, I don't think that could have been, you know, as long as that project was and some of the spin-off projects like Bundler, very complex, you know, but wonderful outputs, I don't think they could have been done by people who were not as engaged as they were. Now, so they were just, they were so hard refactoring problems. That's a really good point. Uh, and Matt actually says that in his interview that, that basically the current development system of MRI was not sustainable. You know, you had a bunch of people working on very complicated problems. I mean, they're trying to nail down things like, uh, you know, the complex mix-in system upgrades that they're trying to do. And yep. there's been look at multiple virtual machines inside of one process and stuff uh, like that. Get, get, you know, perhaps upgrade the garbage collector to you know something new. Right. Perhaps fix the uh, you know the the uh, C extension interfaces and, and things like that. And these are real hard. You know, constantly improving the virtual machine. These are real hard problems. You know, and obviously you look at examples like uh, the JVM has had comparatively multipliers more uh, funding in terms of making those things um, you know perform. And uh, so that you know it's been a bit. It's to some degree it's a disappointment. To, after 18 years, MRI as a code base has never had a major refactor. It's sort of just you know constantly been moved along, but uh, you know not in a necessary software engineering sense. Mm-hmm. So I think from the good side, what we what we hope to gain out of this is that um, you know resources increase for the core team, and there's been mentioned that that multiple members are now in negotiations with Heroku to join Matt's team, and and that. That by having the more resources, that you know Ruby continues to evolve just faster and with more resources at their disposal. I think that's the the upside we're all hoping for, right? Yeah, the, I think we all are concerned though a little bit with you know do do these companies have an agenda with these different projects? You know, are they going to try and and get their own kinds of things into Ruby? And the other thing that, that comes to mind when, when, when you bring what's an, this... What's an example? I mean, I, I, 
I, I understand where you're coming from, and uh, and I'm wondering if you have like an example of something you something you think now Heroku is going to get put into MRI that the rest of us don't want anyway. No, I can't. Immediate think of deploy. So, so, so Charles, I I think that's a, that's an interesting point to look at, and there's two sides to it. That uh, you know the sponsor is definitely in a position to influence the technology, mm-hmm. uh, and and. and you know, you can worry about that and say, okay, maybe they're going to pursue their own agenda and in a way that doesn't actually serve the community at large. And having watched the Rails project develop over the years, every now and then you can see stuff that goes in there that 37 Signals cares about that maybe other people don't care about as much. Uh, you know, I think the, the quintessential example of that is the you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth methods on array <laughs> where it was just like Josh you reckon that's that's cool business value for 37 signals you reckon yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely so, awesome. so, so so there's definitely uh, an opportunity for a corporate sponsor to influence things in a way that doesn't necessarily make things awesome for everyone else but as long as it doesn't detract maybe that's not a bad thing on the other hand I think that having people who are hooked into real world needs in a position where they can advance the technology and be supported in doing that is great. I mean, I think that having you know, Yehuda and Carl working on Rails core stuff, at you know, being supported by Engine Yard, seeing all of the stuff that all of Engine Yard's customers had to deal with, and the way that they wrote code and the way that that affected their performance, I think that was great that they were so tightly coupled there, and they could and they had that context to help. And, and this is this is one of the things I'm really looking forward to from uh, uh, whether it's Heroku sponsor, you know, starting. You know, I, I hope it's just the start. I think now that we we know that the, the, these uh, Japanese core guys are interested in being sponsored, and I, I say that because I kind of inferring that we never really we were under the impression that that was not something that was um, they wanted. Um, as with me personally, uh, I'm really excited that they mount. It's not so much. Yeah, there's two parts. One that they're now start looking at caring about Ruby from the perspective of being a cloud language, um, which is obviously something Engine and Heroku both, uh, uh, you know, think is, is uh, you know, the, the state of the world. And uh, the other aspect is perhaps the English-Japanese bridge uh, might get uh, blended um, more healthily and perhaps uh, the multi-language, you know, the multi-Ruby uh, universe just continue. Yeah, now there's more dedicated resources in MRI, perhaps they can um, manage the project and, and perhaps continue to look after Ruby spec as you know as part of their core idea of who they are the Ruby spec isn't just something that the rest of the Rubies use that's perhaps something that uh, MRI will also embrace mm-hmm. I think that's a good point um, Heroku has stated that their hope is to um, see Ruby improve in cloud and uh, areas obviously that's valuable to them and I'm sure that's that's what they're hoping to get out of it but you know let's be honest that's where you know, most Rubyists make their money off of cloud and web applications and things like that. So, so you know, it seems like that if Ruby did improve in those areas, it would help the majority of Rubyists. So, you know, even though a company can exert an influence over, you know, something, it's not necessarily that that influence has to be bad, you know, that that, that probably helps us all. So, so how do we think that some corporate sponsorship for Ruby is actually going to improve things. Like, what are the what are the concrete ways that that well, it's there's, there's the big quadrilla of projects, uh, um, which is you know Ruby, the Rubies themselves, Ruby Gems, um, RVM, and Bundler, which I think 
there's there's four sort of projects that uh, Bundler are sort of lacking. Um, I think a, a maintenance schedule at the moment, or people to work on it. Obviously, uh, you know, RVM gets uh, uh, Wayne works on that. I, I don't engineer doesn't. You know, we don't pay him to do that full time, but you know, it's obviously quarter. You know, we use it internally, um, so we look after it in that sense. Ruby gems. Uh, you know, we could spend as much time as we like discussing the the excitement around Ruby gems uh, from a, from a. <laughs> From we, a management of the project's sense, we had sure. an episode. Sure on we that. have. I, I'd hate to say that. You know, uh, here I am. I'd, I'd hate to miss out my opportunity. Um, that uh, so uh, you know, seeing all those projects having uh, an integrated, you know, um, but you know, be, have them have resources so they can all move forward. Because I think they've all become sort of core to our our, uh, our workflow and production flow. I, I kind of like that you you implied not only that. Uh that these these uh, these projects would get dedicated resources, but you kind of inferred that they would also gain a little bit of structure in yep. in in their in how they move forward. And I I really kind of like that idea that you know um, and and I was kind of trolling a little bit with with talking about the agendas on these different projects, but you know that they have the dedicated resources and that these dedicated resources have the resources of a company behind them to move them forward, give them structure, give them the tools that they need to, to push yep. it along. And we have a lot of moving parts now when you look at those four and perhaps if you want to add a fifth, you could say gem cutter as a service, which Nick Quanto's um, you know, been a wonderful job of and, and uh, perhaps Tom Copeland with uh, with Ruby Forge. Um, you know, so there's, there's a whole bunch of moving parts to the organism that is the Ruby community. Um, so seeing seeing you know, any sponsorship around and so that those things can be healthy is is a wonderful stuff. Well, so, some of those things, some of those things, Gem Carter in particular, I think, are supported by Ruby Central, and mm-hmm. you know, just because one company is now stepping up to to sponsor things in a more official way, doesn't mean that there's that that has to all be centralized in one company. There's plenty of places where there are plenty of opportunities for multiple companies to support Ruby. In different yeah, ways. and I wouldn't say that one company doing all the work is going to radically improve anything. I mean, the, the people that the core people working on this stuff. Uh, I mean, people may or may not. Evan Phoenix is the you know Rubinius lead. Spends a lot of time working on uh, Ruby Gems problems and dealing, you know, working as part of the, the you know that community around that project. I mean, they they have working relationships, and uh, you know, just making allowing them the freedom to actually solve these complex problems um, is, uh, I think, you know, a value that any company wants to help. You know, I'd love more companies to be spending their 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 uh, their capital or their revenue on uh, on helping make our community better. Mm-hmm. It'd be awesome. Okay, I want to change tactics a little bit too and talk not so much about supporting particular projects by sponsoring the developers that are behind them, or in the case of Bundler, you know, finding somebody else to kind of take it over since Yehuda and Carl are working on something else. But there are also projects that are kind of built by companies, I guess. So you have different gems and stuff that are yeah. provided and, by ThoughtBot. And I think this, or, this is a really interesting one. And you look at perhaps Cloud Foundry from VMware, not to mention a competitor's product, kind of mm-hmm. classless from a self-serving perspective. But it's, you know, yeah. it's uh, one of those things that came out purely from a company. And I think that it's just from an open source perspective, it'd be interesting to see how they go as an open source project. You know, does it ever grow beyond the company that, that, that heavily funds it? Um, or is it, you know, is it going to be perennially locked inside that company? Android perhaps fits into that model. Uh-huh. Uh, sorry, I don't know if that's where you're going to go with that conversation, but that would be interesting to know if anyone else had any thoughts of, of how company, you know, company-initiated projects can succeed or fail. 
Well, there are a couple of examples that I can think of of that, and that wasn't exactly where I was going to go, but I think it's an interesting uh, thread to follow. Um, there are there are other projects like Hadoop that was started at Google, but now is run by the Apache Group, as well as Cassandra and uh, Yahoo. It was started at Yahoo, I believe. Yeah, Yahoo. Which Hadoop? Hadoop. Yeah. Was yeah. it Yahoo? Okay. But but you know there are these different projects. Wait, did you say Google? I did. There's an interesting story about why you might say that. Do you want to hear it? Sure. So uh, yeah, as as Josh said, it was started at uh, at Yahoo. But Google um, were the first to put it on a CD and ship it off to universities to teach people about you know the the you know that sort of model of thinking and problem solving because they wanted people to be prepped about that so they could come and work at Google. Mm. So they were the, they they took brand leadership on something they weren't even really working on. I think it's very clever. <laughs> that that is clever, but anyway, these projects are now open source. They're not managed by the companies that started them, and you know they're meeting with some success. And so I, I think in some instances, depending on the use case for them, they can move beyond the companies that start them. So okay, so we're now talking about like the uh, the ten gen running Mongo, the the uh, Hortonworks, which is the company that has now been spun off from Yahoo to 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 own and manage. Or owns the wrong word, but to do Hadoop work, um, Strobe running Sprout Core, uh, is that the sort of thing where they have like a, uh, there's a company t- directly tied to the product, and that that type of thing, or yeah, either either way, I mean, you know, yeah, l- let's talk about those for a minute because you know it is interesting. It's not just you know they hired the guys that made Sprout Core, and so now they're they're paying them to work full time on Sprout Core, but you know they actually have a a business model behind it. Right, um, where yeah, and did parallel where mm-hmm. thirty seven you know Rails was not core, wasn't really their product. It was something that spun out from from what they were doing. Right, I, 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 I think yeah, I, those ones examples I gave. It's perhaps too soon to know whether those models work or not. But uh, some of them were successful first, and then businesses formed around them, like Hadoop and HortonWorks. Um, Sprout Core came out of of Apple. Obviously, had a very high, high, um, high impact example in terms of mobile me. Has anyone ever thought of whether that's a good model or a bad model, or how how decoupled? Like we try at Engineer, we try to decouple our notion of ownership of, of you know of uh, Rubinius and JRuby. You know, we sponsor them, but really, what we want them is to be massively successful. That's why we do it. Um, there, there's, there's another interesting uh, example or counterexample here, and that is that Oracle owned Hudson, and they owned the the trademark on the name on Hudson, and so there was the whole naming. Uh, they owned that trademark like that. about thirty minutes before they started exerting pressure on it. Right, but they, they found out they didn't own the trademark, went and got it, and then started being annoying. Right, but but you know, so but they this had is, this this sense of ownership where they, you know, they felt like they had the right to it. You know, exactly. No, well, let's let's go with that. I mean, they they use trademark as a way of trying to exert that, but um, yeah, they 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 went down a different path and see how that went for them. Right. Yeah. So, so so I want I wonder if the that cautionary tale, uh, you know, maybe we should look at a couple a couple others. I I've been wondering what's the downside of corporate sponsorship and what are maybe things that the community has to watch out for or try and avoid. We've we've like now now Oracle owns MySQL. Yeah, and, and they and, own Oracle. That 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 bodes well, doesn't it? 
I agree, and I think um, I think we can give more examples. So we've already had Oracle and Hudson. I think Hudson. Oracle has made some damaging moves with MySQL changing the pricing structure. I mean, it's probably not dead yet, but I think they've definitely made some damaging moves and caused people to, you know, reevaluate that project a bit. Um, and then uh, the one that I keep striking me. Um, Google was so good about pushing Python until recently, and I think in recent years they've done a lot of damage to the Python community with kind of, I, I mean, I realized the moratorium was a community decision, but I, I think it was largely influenced by stability issues at Google, and then, you know, in the meantime, Google basically replaces Python with Go, um, and I, I think they've done a lot of damage to that language recently. I'm not familiar with that. Is there any more to that story you sort of summarized? Is Guido still there? Is, is it, I mean, it's still a language, first-class language of, of, of the uh, app, app engine? He is still uh, there. It is still used at Google, although uh, my understanding, and I'm pretty sure that they've made public that internally they're phasing out the use of Python in favor of um, uh, mainly Go. Um, gotcha. Lawyer up, dude. Lawyer, right, <laughs> right, yeah. I get lots of angry emails, but um, the uh, the the issue is that that it just didn't meet their their needs when scaled it at their scale. But I yep. feel like that Python doesn't scale. Python doesn't scale, right? Just doesn't like, Google scale? That's you know. And what's the point if you're not going to try and reach for Google scale? Right. So I I think I think that sponsors can be damaging, and that's why you know, we have an initial reaction of a little bit of concern when something like, you know, happens like, uh, I mean, you know, we all want to believe Matt's works for Heroku, but the truth is Matt's works for Salesforce, you know, pretty much. Mm -hmm. yep. It's worked out awesome for Redis, though. Um, I mean, I know Salvatore and, you know, uh, VMware's sponsorship of Redis has been really good. Um, yeah, and I like that model. Their model is the model we go with, which is, you know, Throw a logo up there. Just get your work done. Make Redis awesome. So, yeah. So th there's a there's a, a different kind of concern that I have about some of this, and and that's that uh, you you can a community can become dependent on the support of the corporate sponsor. That I, I think Ruby's been in a in a great place uh, up until now in some regards because there aren't corporate masters calling the shots. The and and the the support for Ruby comes from the community. Yeah, the grassroots has been wonderful. Right, so, so, that, so that's been great. And it's been hampering in some regards, but it's also been really um, engaging and empowering in other regards. And, but, but you can see that some, sometimes things happen that aren't awesome uh, all around. And I, I'm not trying to knock Engine Yard here, but I remember a while back when Engine Yard downsized the Rubinius development team. And... You know, they went yep. from. So, for anyone not, not listening, uh, Rubinius started with Evan, then uh, I think grew to, I think, six people, and then they decided to go back to two people. Yep. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I think that, that, that was. There was a reason for that, but I. That, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I'm not knocking how it was handled or, or that it was done, I, but, I, but I think that it is something to be aware of that that kind of thing can happen. And in, in the case of Rubinius, Rubinius has continued to enjoy strong support from the community and the project has gone kick-ass and has just really uh, you know, continued to progress. So it, it worked out well in the end. Yep. And, uh, but there are potential cases where a company can 
basically make the the community become dependent on it. So okay, great. They hired the you know say Heroku hire, and slash Salesforce hires the entire Ruby core team, and now all these you know all these people change their jobs and they go work. All right, for, and then Benioff so, changes his mind and decides Ruby isn't the future of the cloud, and um, and then and what happens? Sudden, that's right. Right. Yep. Yeah, but yeah. I do want to point out here that uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I do think it works more often than not, and I really like Peter's example of Redis and and other projects like that, where where companies you know come in and add the support. You know, I I think that what you have is a bunch of guys working hard in Japan to make uh, Ruby better, and that and that you know it comes down to they also have to have jobs and feed their families and stuff like that so you know if if Heroku can sponsor some of them and and make that less you know lessen some of those other needs so they can move you know needs more toward ruby then then pretty much everybody wins you know? yeah it, yeah it, i mean the corporate sponsor isn't the only one to to be concerned around i mean the people being sponsored suffer from the same burnout issues, or, or uh, you know, wayward, weighing, uh, wayward focus that that anyone can can suffer from, and, and some certainly some projects. I mean, you got Carl and Yehuda that you know had had about enough of working on Rails full time at the time that they finally got it over. You know, they committed to getting it over the line. They did that, then they decided to go off and you know devote themselves to something else. I mean, the you know, there's also the human aspect of of working full time on something. It is can become similar to having a real job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, what I was going to say before was just that it seems like, you know, in all of the counterexamples that we gave, it seemed like the corporate sponsor kind of overstepped things and decided that whatever it was that they were sponsoring was no longer owned in a certain sense by the community and that they had the right to to enforce certain restrictions on it. And it seems like in, in a lot of those cases, they that's when the problems begin to occur is because the community is moving one way and the, the company that's sponsoring it is trying to move in a different direction with it, whether that be monetization or, you know, yep. or, or meddling it in it in some way. And so... Yeah, classic I, community meddling. SQL Lite voids that, though, very well um, by having several corporate sponsors. So they're all kind of like equal... Another interesting protection from SQLite is that um, uh, they force all contributed code into the public domain. That's part this of true. contributing to SQLite. So basically, it guarantees going forward that you know no matter what happens at the corporate sponsor level, SQLite in its current form at that point, you can always take it and run with it. So, yeah. so that's uh, interesting protection built into their model. Well, I've got another type of corporate sponsorship for you, and that's the fork. You've the fork, right? Yeah, companies like uh, uh, Fusion, who did you know, uh, Ruby Enterprise Edition, Twitter, who then took that and did their own, you know, fork of that. Uh, and those those contributions, either not being offered up mainline or being rebranded, or perhaps you know going against the the, the core maintainers' desires, and uh, and, and therefore never, not being accepted. Um, I, I gotta say, I'm less. I, I, I like those less. That, uh, for example, uh, in uh, Ruby Enterprise Edition, uh, they forked because they wanted to improve performance uh, under the hosting of web applications. So they basically went all the way through MRI and made some massive patches that that made massive changes. And they did make a single attempt, I think, or or maybe a few, to throw those back to the 
Ruby core team and they said, well, yeah, you did prove performance on, you know, web applications, but you also hurt performance under these cases, these cases, and these cases. And those guys weren't interested in, you know, working around that and resolving those, which I think is unfortunate because then all that work could have gone into MRI and we all could have benefited from it from our, forever, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So, so we, do we put this under corporate sponsorship misguidance or is it just human beings not communicating? It's a good question. I don't, I don't know. Um, so you gave Ruby Enterprise Edition. What, what was the other example of fork you gave? Uh, I mean, I, then, I, just to take that story further, was the Twitter recently announced their, um, they'd been working on REE. Right. See, that, that seems, again, you know, where... Okay, so all that's happening in a black box, and none of that's getting back to Ruby, you know, right. and that seems bad both for the Ruby community and for Twitter itself, because if Twitter continues to just, you know, fiddle with their own version, then eventually they'll be running Twitter Ruby instead of Ruby, you know, and they won't be able to take in things from the main line that right. they and, and, potentially and, help them. And, and, you know, I mean, if you, if you watch sort of Twitter's architectural evolution as a company, as they move toward, I mean, ev- and Weaver did a, an interview with InfoQ recently and, uh, and sort of you know, said out loud what we'd all sort of been watching as their gradual move away from, from Ruby, which is sort of their birth language, to, uh, to Java-based languages and typed type languages. Um, you can kind of imagine that, therefore, there's going to come a point where they're going to cease support for some of the open source they've done, but if they never get up mainlined back into a, a community-sponsored project, then it's kind of the death of that branch. Right. But now I can think of forks that were probably good cases like what about Jenkins since we talked about Hudson earlier, right? Yep. So that, well, that was a brand. I mean, I mean yes, I, you know, to me that was always just a rebranding and a, a, a liberation of, of, uh, of, of the suffering. Um, but it's a fascinating story and, and no doubt someone will write a book and, and Hudson will be an interesting, Hudson Jenkins will be an interesting, uh, and I'm not sure where they're up to now with the, with the reunification. I, I know they, they started that, but... Uh, Hopefully, Oracle will give up and we can all go back to being happy together. Yeah, my so understanding that, is is that there was some concession made to where they were going to rename it back to Hudson, but I don't, I don't know more than that. No, I haven't seen anything definitive. That's another good point where keeping it open, you know, keeps your options open, which you know is good news in Ruby community. We have that too. I mean, if Heroku goes crazy tomorrow and and makes Heroku Ruby and starts trying to close all the open doors, you know, then, then we can fork Ruby at that point and go forward, you know. Yeah. yeah, well, and the other thing is, is I think we can all count on Matt's or, you know, whoever else is there working on it that if, if that kind of stuff starts happening that, you know, that they'll move move things out where we can get to them. Because I, I think the agenda with Ruby, if, if the agenda with Ruby and the agenda with Heroku don't line up, then, you know, I, I can see Matt's, you know, feeling some um, obligation to the community to do what's best for Ruby. And, and he's, he was pretty clear about that in the interview that he did. Uh, that we, sh- we should put a link to that in the show notes, by the way, the, uh, the, the interview that got translated a couple days ago talking about this. I assume everyone on this call has read it. Right. Maybe not. Uh, the, so I, I want to throw in... Uh, sort of blue sky or wish list moment here and that th- I think that there's been some things about Ruby that uh, people have criticized uh, in many cases rightly about things like documentation and support for like system library support or what ha- 
when people start comparing Ruby to other languages, they'll say, oh, Python's so much better at math or scientific processing or system library support, uh, or, and it has better documentation. I'm wondering if this is an opportunity for uh, Ruby to try and level up in some of those areas where the language has not measured up to other languages. So you're asking us what we think they should do with their new resources to be awesome Ruby or better Ruby? Yeah, I mean, if if if, uh, if someone's in a position to throw money at the problem, what's the what's the problems we want them to be solving? Is that how is that how it works though? You start with money and problems come out and solutions come out, or do you sort of find someone who is passionate about a problem space and money follows him? It's a good it's a good question, but I will say that. Uh, so when I was in Japan attending uh, Ruby Kaigi, uh, Matt had just done one of his famous large, undocumented, untested commits. And the way those usually work is he throws a bunch of code at Ruby and then they kind of uh, reverse engineer it to figure out what it does so we can get some basic documentation and testing going, you know. And uh, I remember uh, Yugi giving him crap on stage and threatening to take away his commit rights, you know, <laughs> because he can't uh, follow the rules like anybody else. So perhaps, I've, heard sim- I've heard similar things said about perhaps the uh, the owner of, of Rails as well, just wandering in and, and uh, throwing in some less than production quality uh, contributions. So perhaps, you know, Heroku putting a bit of pressure on there for some documentation or proper process. Uh, like- look. Look, we have to get back to, you know, do you think Heroku's going to do that? Do you think that, you know, code quality is at the top of there? God damn it, can we have, you know, we're paying for code quality. Or is it just a, you know, we just want him to pay more attention to Rail, Ruby, and less attention to whatever else he's paying attention to? Well, even that. Anime. Even, <laughs> anime. <Yeah. laughs> even that's maybe a, an interesting question, though. Matt's and the core team have admitted several times that they don't really use Ruby for web applications, even though the rest of the world does, you know, so... That even if Heroku just says, you know, can we focus on some VM features that would help web apps? Maybe that's that, a, that doesn't a thing. surprise me. That doesn't surprise me at all. I think if you go to a lot of the language implementers, they'll claim to not necessarily be massive users of of their thing because obviously, you know, the JRuby guys are Java developers. The C Ruby guys are C developers. You know, Ruby K is a big C conference and you know that sort of thing. So I think that's that's a natural tension that's going to exist, you know, their fascination is, is making a wonderful Ruby implementation, not necessarily owning the whole, you know, experience all the way up to does HTML get rendered quickly. That's probably true, but I bet also in the past, like, I know we've had sweeping Ruby releases that just destroyed Rails horribly, you know. And then oh, yeah. I mean, look, the 1.9 branch, seven years in the making before it was production ready. I mean, you know, that's not a high point of software engineering. But I do think that nowadays they do try to be better about making sure they haven't broken rails horribly before they release. Yeah, Yeah, and I believe um, that whoever's in charge of of actually the product release of of, of Ruby um, committed for the 192 release, they committed that that, that it would have to pass the Ruby spec. And I think that was the, for 192 patch zero was the first time they ever made that commitment. Right, and that's Yugi, just to be clear. She's in charge of the 19 release. Yep. Thanks, Yugi. <laughs> I, I wonder if um, several of the, if some of the biases that the uh, rail, that the Ruby core team has uh, are are going to come into tension with the biases of the uh, you know, sort of largely American and European Rails developer community 
the the Ruby core uh, developers, I think they they mostly develop on Windows systems. They like Shift JIS instead of UTF-8. There's a, a couple interesting little biases in there that uh, that have caused a, a you know little kerfuffles here and there. To use my favorite NPR word, uh, <laughs> the word kerfuffle is not used to, uh, by far enough, Josh. No, Imbroglio. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you bringing it into context here. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, put that word, put that word in the show notes uh, for anyone wanting to look it up and you know get the correct spelling. <laughs> Kerfuffle with a K. Yeah. <laughs> but but no no I mean back to my point, I I just wonder how much of the how much of those tensions are going to become an issue. I, I I know that there was some uh, perf- either performance or stability ta- patch that uh, Tenderlove you know, Aaron submitted and was recrack was rejected by Ruby. Or by Ruby Core because it wasn't compatible with what a lot of you know, the American community feels as an obscure Windows development case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that alone, I mean, uh, Rubinius had yet to you know, really solve any of the Windows issues uh, late last year, and, and it's been one of their parallel projects. You know, DayRuby is kind of gets the benefit of, of, of the Java's commitment to the Windows platform. But uh, yeah, I mean, Platform agnosticism, or, or making sure your stuff works across all of them, and caring is can be a torturous aspect. No JS is, you know, making a commitment to that now, but that's been we haven't even talked about them enjoying it yet, uh, which is an interesting spot, you know, corporate sponsorship. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that to me isn't a corporate sponsorship thing. Just to tie this all into the theme of the talk, that's just people with biases. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I don't know if I. I don't know if, if Matt's being paid by an American company, you know, or sponsored, or, or however you want to refer to this relationship they have, is going to change his biases. Right. I don't know if that comes with the contract. Who Pete knows? McDonald's. All right. Well, Pete McDonald's. I'm, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, uh, drive us into the picks here, um, and you know, then we can pick this up and and post it as an extra on on the website, but. Uh, you know, for for those who are new, and uh, Doctor Nick, this is your first time, so uh, we'll we'll uh, explain this to you as well. But uh, the, the picks are just things that uh, are interesting, or that have helped us out, or have uh, you know uh, different tools. They can be programming tools, they can be uh, television shows, they can be you know toys, whatever. But just just things that you think are cool that you want to share with with the audience and and with the other panelists. And, uh, you know, we just take a few minutes and, and explain, you know, what our picks are and, and why we like them. So um, I'm going to go ahead and start this one off because I always make somebody else start. And uh, my picks this time, I have one tech pick and one non-tech pick. Um, and the tech pick is Cassandra. I've been playing with it and uh, it's really cool. It scales up really nicely. It, uh, you know, the, the paradigm's a little bit different as far as the database structure. But it, it's really, really awesome. And I'm actually going to be talking about it at Rocky Mountain Ruby in about a month and a half. Um, and so, anyway, I'm kind of excited about it just because in playing with it, I've seen it do some pretty cool stuff. Um, and that that's another open source project. It was started at Facebook. Uh, Twitter uses it. A bunch of other companies use it. And it is now supported um, by the Apache group. It's an Apache project. Um, the other one that I'm going to pick, I've been watching uh, Stargate SG-1, and I've really been enjoying it. And so uh, <laughs> I'm about most of the way through the second season, 
And it, it's really been cool. I've been watching it on Netflix and just really been enjoying it. So, you know, both geek picks, one tech pick, and uh, there you go. Uh, let's go ahead and let Peter go next. I'm going to do an anti-pick to start with, and that's TK. The TK library, it seems that um, we've, we talked about this, about Ruby and uh, the different uses in Japan. seems that often the Ruby releases get delayed because of TK for some reason. Um, I saw that this week, cause about 193 was delayed because of this. Um, oh, sorry, no, the 192, the new patch level, was delayed because of TK problems. So uh, anti-pick TK. Um, more positively, we've been talking about mats and... I've been my this book is so worn um, that I just have to recommend it because I've come across so many Rubyists who don't know what I'm talking about when I mention this book, and it's the Ruby programming language from O'Reilly by David Flanagan and Matts, and it's just an awesome book. It's basically the you know as close as you can get almost to a reference for the uh, language uh, straight from the mouth um, of Matts, or you know at least with his stamp of approval. Have you ever thought about the irony of needing a reference guide to a language which proposes that it should be self-discoverable or do whatever you think it should? do no awesome. no <laughs> not at all but yeah i always learn something every time i you know pick it up have a flick through there's always something cool i, I pick out or remember um i'm going to quickly go through two others you, you um, pick through it with ball. a pickaxe oh nice well, you could try. <laughs> yeah if you don't like if you if you, if you want to skip all the tutorial stuff and just go straight to the reference this is uh, the good stuff um yeah, Cobral, uh, Cobral.com. It's run by Jeff Kreeftmayer. I'm not very good at pronouncing his name. Um, it's a cool thing, like because I know that uh, James used to run the Ruby Quiz. Um, this is a little bit simpler. It's basically try and make a cool testing library, and bam, you get a week to do it, and then you vote, and that's kind of cool. So Cobral.com. And uh, last but not least, Michael Edgar's uh, Ruby Patches. Uh, repository on github he explains very simply how to install different patches which he's accumulated inside this repository uh, to do things like add in you know add in little extra features that people have patched into uh, mri and jruby i believe and it's very very simple with rvm just a one-liner to install any one of the patches and off you go you can be playing with uh, various new features and things that people have uh, cobbled together so i'll send over the links and uh, share them all with you so if you uh, apply those ruby patches is that ruby reloaded Oh, ouch. Nice. You want to tell us what Ruby Reloaded is real quick? Um, I can, although it's all sold out. But uh, yeah, Ruby Reloaded is a, a course that I'm running actually next week um, at rubyreloaded.com. It's a, an online thing. It's like a two-day, eight hours spent on uh, with a, a month's forum kind of mentorship for intermediate Ruby developers. So, um, so I do if you've enjoyed the dulcet tones of, of Peter Cooper, you can have more of that in an eight-hour block. But yeah, you're, you're not going to enjoy my dulcet tones for at least the next few weeks, though, because I am very busy with all of these different things. So I'm semi-retiring from uh, the show for a while. So, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, he's he's leaving us to go make some money. God. We're sad. <laughs> We're gonna miss Peter. But on the upside, Josh has agreed to join us. So he's been a semi-regular, and he's uh, sticking around. So yeah. Speaking yeah, so of speaking did you do of a Josh, poll? how do you figure out which? Uh, you know, does certain guests you know rate more highly? Is that is that how you pick Josh, or is he just like available? Uh, yeah, you, a you know, we, 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 <laughs> I, I, I rate highly because I'm available. I rate highly because I'm available. That's right. <laughs> but actually, we have had a lot of feedback that Josh is a is good addition to the rooms from from the targeted uh, advertising demographic. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> it works out. Although I may have to miss next week because I'm on call for jury duty. 
Oh, man. Yikes. Just say he's <laughs> guilty and get out of there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, look at the police officer. You did your job, right? Yep. Guilty. <laughs> nice. Okay, great. So, right. so is this my, my pick turn? Yes, I yeah. think so. Okay. Uh, so I got a follow-up from last week where I was talking about the Restful Web Services book, which uh, and, I, and Steve Klavnik tweeted at me after the podcast saying, oh, you got to check out Hadeos or however you pronounce it. It's spelled H-A-T-E-O-A-S, and it stands for Hypermedia as the Engine of Application State. And this is part of Fielding's dissertation. And it, and it gets a mention in the Ruby, or the RESTful Web Services book that I picked last week. But there's not too much about it in the book. And that's why I missed it when I was reading through it. Uh, but Steve Klavnik has uh, a nice write-up on that. and So I'll put a link to that in the show notes for you. And uh, that mentions, a, it has a couple other mentions in, the, in his blog post. And it doesn't take much uh, Googling to find some other references. So that, uh, that is a nice start to learn about um, hypermedia as the engine of application state and how to, how to uh, deal with the con- connectedness and versioning of APIs and, and all of that. I, I still think that there's not enough information available here and that there's not, uh, not good examples on it. And, it, and there's actually, I think, a good opportunity to try and level up the support for this in Rails as well. So mm-hmm. it's been is it is, good there, is there a plugin? So I'm still reading through this. Is there like a and, and most nice things like this start as plugin, and then you know DHH decides he likes them, which is how well, REST I, came in. But is there is where's this? Is well, this I, just I, an article or what? This is just an article. And it's just information, and I think that the that there are there are next steps to take. But I think that because this is so coupled to uh, hypermedia formats, hypertext formats, that the plugins aren't going to be able to appear until you actually have some idea of what are the media formats that you need. Ah, uh, uh, Josh, the, that's a barrier to entry. Having to know something before you use it—that's that's kind of so you could use REST when everyone found out. You mean we're doing REST already? Whee! That was, you know, there's, you know, all of a sudden you just made tens of thousands of Rails people cool. Um, you know, you just had to let them know they were cool. And, but, you know, if you, you could just drop it in and go, you know, there's generators, the, you know, our generators just generated the right thing and, and we could live and learn the patterns. I mean, how does, how do I get, what's the pattern here that can be generated or, or, or sort of automatically taught along the way? The one well, you need to generate you- these en- entry link things. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't quite, uh, figured out how much of this stuff is uh, idiosyncratic and how much of it is generic. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm, still, uh, I'm still reading up on all see this stuff. See the show notes. Yep. Yes, see the show notes. And, 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 then I ha- and then I have another pick, which is um, uh, uh, super geeky but non-technical, and that's the Blend Tech Blender that I got recently. So if you, Google, awesome. if you Google for Will It Blend, you can find <laughs> videos of them blending Pretty I much love those videos. Does it come so with funny. any sample things to blend, like you know, first generation iPhones and whatever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. iPods, iPhones, shoes, right. <laughs> diamonds. I think they did glass. I don't uh, know. There's a yeah, so, whole bunch it, of them. But but aside from all the novelty value of being able to blend your iPhone, um, although I tried and my iPad wouldn't fit in the blender, so it, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> the, uh, I don't the, know whether to laugh or cry. 
<laughs> you know? yeah, the industrial but, strength. But, but, but I guess I gotta say this is the this is the most amazing blender ever. And I I, I do a lot of smoothies for breakfast it's now. Such a late night television concept, though. If it wasn't for YouTube, you know, you'd be watching ads for that at three in the morning, going, "I do need to blend my, you know, friggin' <laughs> <laughs> so, so I. I like to eat healthy. I I think smoothies are a great way for me to do breakfast because they don't require a lot of prep. I just but and, but with this blender, it's great. I just throw everything in there. I, I can throw in whole raw nuts. I can throw in flax seeds, uh, uh, chunks of ginger, uh, whole carrots. It's just you know, and it just blends it all up into a delicious smoothie. So it's oh, not like five and five and a quarter inch floppy disks that you don't need anymore. Uh, absolutely, I can I can uh, up, uh, you know get more gigabytes in the. Uh, there was actually a. Bl- post during the week of someone declaring that you could if you had them toss out your five and a quarter inch discs now oh, is the time <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we have permission for that i think he's still, he's still got the three and a half disc on on, on deprecated warning but uh, he said uh, yeah five and a quarters you can toss them out what, what about the eight inch floppies <laughs> i've never seen one <laughs> you, you, you don't have permission on those yet no yeah. you can find one they're probably worth something they've gone back so, into different phases so, so, so anyway, the, and then the, the the super dangerous thing about the blend tech is that it has a milkshake button. Oh no, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it has all these pre-programmed buttons that control the speed and power and duration of the of the engine. And there's there's literally a milkshake button. Is there, an, throw, is there an iPhone button? No, there's not. They got to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so that's it for my picks. All right. I just I, I want to clarify one thing, and that is that if you don't know who Steve Klabnik is, he is the guy behind Hackity Hack, I believe. Isn't yep. he the maintainer yeah, of Hackity Hack? That's right. Yes. So, he's, uh, he's on uh, Changelog. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, oh, sorry. It's competitive product. My mistake. Uh, la, 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 la. I never said that. <laughs> and anyway, so if you want to learn to program, Hackity Hack is a good way to go. Um, James, go ahead and share your picks. Okay, I can't remember if I've recommended iTerm 2 or not, so if I haven't, I'm recommending it, and if I have, I'm recommending it again. Uh, it's reached 1.0 now, uh, so it's gotten pretty stable, and uh, I was one of those people that just used Apple's terminal forever, and then once you switch over to iTerm 2, you realize that was really stupid, because iTerm 2 <laughs> is just amazing. Uh, just having like a keyboard shortcut to full screen the terminal, it does all of your click on the the directory links and it'll actually open up stuff. Yeah, you can you can uh, divide it horizontally, vertically. You can build it where it pops down as a visor and whatever app you're in when you hit you a certain. You can remap keyboard. colors. Remap colors. Yes, seriously. That there's like there's Apple's terminal, which is like a Fisher Price terminal, and then there's iTerm two, which is like this is this is the Meccano of of the Lego family. You're saying that's right. It's it's amazing. So uh, if you are not yet using iTerm two, now is the time. It's it's ready and and it's amazing. So your name all over it. Yep. So but, so I can install it on my Mac Pro and then pull it out of the handicap spot. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> James, James, how is it doing in terms of stability and performance now? Uh, I, I've had no problems, none. So, and I use it all day, every day. So I, I'm very happy. All right. it, it was quite buggy at the beginning of the uh, move to the two phase, but they've been just squashing the heck out of bugs since then. So, and in my opinion, it's very stable now. But uh, definitely. Check it out and see what you think, but it's a serious terminal, so you definitely want to try it. 
my other pick is totally technical. I've uh, got that new router, as I mentioned uh, last time, I think, and so I've basically just been looking for ways to abuse all the content coming into my house, and uh, Netflix will stream HD, so um, you can stream down. Oh, and they just stuck all the Star Treks on Netflix, except for DS9, which is coming in October, but... All the others are on there, and their original series and Enterprise have been uh, remastered to HD. So you can go in there, and uh, you can just stream down episodes and, and HD, and they're yeah. really I'm great. Sure. James, James, uh, what's James. the demographic of our, our audience? Because perhaps, perhaps you know, Star Trek's uh, too advanced, and perhaps the demographic, they might like to know that uh, that all of the Power Rangers episodes are available too. So uh, depending <laughs> on who you are as a listener, you might. However, what made me extremely sad is that the Star Trek animated series is not available on Netflix. Ooh, that is is a hurt. But my wife and I just went back and rewatched every single episode of The Next Generation. And that was. Really? Jesus Christ. That was campy fun, you know. (laughs) Anyways, you should do it. It's fun. Are the movies on yet, or is it just the TV series? It's the, the TV series, and now we're watching the movies. And I know the most recent movie is is on there. We just watched that, but I hadn't seen that the uh, the other movies. Which one is the most recent one? I don't recall. The, uh, the, ones, the one with all the lens flares. <laughs> and Nemesis, that, I believe Nemesis is the last one. Okay. No, 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 it's, no, no, Enterprise with uh, Chris Pine and Zach Quinto. Oh right. Yeah, the JJ Adams, the the the, the first oh, ever oh, oh. Of show, which actually did a time travel back into the start of the last one. Right. I was only talking about next generation movies. You're right. The uh, the other one is uh, Star Trek: The Reboot, which, in my opinion, is one of the best reboots of a series ever. So, yeah, no, I quite, I've enjoyed watching it a number of times. I, I was trying to figure out how they were going to keep everything consistent, and then at the end, it's like, yeah, this is a new timeline. It was like, oh, cool. Yeah, that was really cool because they got to throw out all the parts that sucked and keep everything they wanted. Now, yeah. it, it might be hard for people to remember, but I certainly remember when I watched it the first time. Uh, it was on at the same time as Heroes. Uh, and I was expecting Spock at any moment just to wave his hand around and, you know, shit would start flying around like uh, like Sila from Heroes. <laughs> yeah, somebody. someone would slam against the wall and their head would start to yeah. cut open. Cut somebody's head right off, yeah. yeah. So the best thing about this movie is it lasted, uh, its rewatchability is longer than Heroes, so I can now watch that movie without really remembering Heroes and Sila. That's right. <laughs> the, 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 cool, the cool thing about that movie is that it reset things so that the Enterprise series is now the only one that's canon. That's yes. right. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. That one didn't run very long, though, did it? No. Uh, four seasons. Enterprise ran four seasons. Mm. Longer than the original series. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Somebody had to point that out. All right, Doctor Nick, what are your picks? All right, I'm going to pick uh, something that I think's new and shiny to me, though it's going to it's going to show uh, perhaps date me in some direction. But I'm actually a big fan of Postgres. And, you know, anyone that's a big lover of Postgres is going to think I'm an absolute tool. Um, but I think what it means is that I've actually, you know, chosen a, a SQL implementation rather than just taking some arbitrary default that you might have. Uh, and I have to be honest, this is, I think Ooh. it's interesting to know why I went with Postgres because well, as much as I know all of its wonderful performance production characteristics, it was actually because I watched the peep code on Postgres and it showed transactional, uh, uh, transactional migrations in Rails. And that was a, an absolute pain point for me. My my, you know, half a decade of Rails development was migrations that break halfway through and, and just you know, having to redo them. So I moved to Postgres. Now I use it in production for everything. And uh, uh, so yeah, that's a big win. And, and I mean, if I so, so Nick, 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 is this just entirely coincidental with the fact that Engineer is rolling out support for Postgres on App Cloud? 
I was, I was actually be a lot more gratuitous than that. I was going to say that that was the case, but no, I, I, I love Postgres. This is, this is my, I mean, oh, well, what's worth mentioning is um, for anyone that didn't watch Aaron, uh, Aaron Patterson's uh, RailsConf talk, which is on YouTube, but he talks about, you know, the big uh, performance boost for everything except MySQL um, coming up in Rails 3.1. So, uh, you know, get off MySQL and go to either SQLite <laughs> or, uh, or Postgres or SQL Server, but uh, yeah, some big performance boosts coming. I'm so gonna, no, but I'm, I, I'm all about it for the transactional migrations. I'm going to have to change my arbitrary default then. You're arbitrary, that's right. Um, uh, nerdy, perhaps nerdy, I don't know if it's nerdy, but something my wife and I watch on, on the old Netflix is In Plain Sight. So it's actually In Plain Sight. It's uh, uh, a wonderful showcase of the delightful city of Albuquerque, uh, but it's all about... Um, uh, Albuquerque? Albuquerque, I know. It's a hot, hotbed. Certainly, you know, it's now on our, our must-see list of, of cities in America since we moved here. Um, it's a show about... Uh, what's the show about? It's about... Isn't uh, that shit. where they exile all the witness protection folks? The witness protection, Witset, yeah. Um, but the, the two main characters are kind of fun to watch, you know, you know their banter. And, and, you know, the premise of Witsec, uh, I think, allows for a lot of interesting sort of stories. Um, okay. and you my you wife saw said, something horrible. We're going to send you to nowhere. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you and New Mexico are best friends. Uh, uh, I, have a, I have a nerdy thing, again, just a low-level nerdy thing. I love the minus minus RVMRC flag on RVM, the ability to sort of uh, generate um, a, a .rvm file, RVMRC file within a project and sort of fix it on a, on a version of Ruby that it needs so that whenever you go into that folder, it automatically changes which Ruby you're using. Certainly useful uh, here at Engineered where we have lots of you know, some aging projects that or projects that have different levels of support for different Rubies. And it means you can sort of go in and, and not have to remember what Ruby to use. Um, and I have one final phase, more of a, a world, you know, for anyone. Uh, this is not just nerd. This is, this is I think, any listener who's going to appreciate. Uh, novelty thing I think anyone should at least try once is uh, living in America. Uh, we're trying it. It's novel and it's working out all right for us. So, um, you know, if you've uh, never done it before, give it a try. But he's new here, so pretty soon it could be leaving America. You know, you never know. <laughs> I'll let you know about that one, too. Uh, I, I need to practice my living in America. Nick, could you also look at that as leaving Australia? Uh, no, no, that's a, that's a, I, I can't recommend that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I recommend winning the Ashes. Ouch! Oh, Ouch! So many people are just called not listening and not caring, but nonetheless, very funny. All right. Well, I think that's everything. So uh, I'm going to cue the music and uh, wrap this up. I just want to thank our uh, panelists again for coming. And again, in no particular order, we have uh, Josh Susser. Great to be back. Uh, Dr. Nick, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me on this prestigious uh, uh, you know, medical drama. <laughs> uh, James Edward Gray. Thanks, Dr. Nick. And uh, Peter Cooper. I'll see you all in the future sometime. And I'm Charles Maxwood, and uh, I, I love these discussions, and uh, it sounded like some people had some more to say, so if there's enough uh, extra, then we'll record that too. We'll put it up as an extra. Um, I, I'm going to probably... You know, what I'd love, if anyone listens to this, there was a lot of occasions where someone would say something and then someone else would say, you know, that's a good question, without ever you know, really getting to the answer, though. If anyone has answers to any of our interesting questions... Uh, feel free to put them somewhere 
Oh yeah, yeah we're a lot more about the questions than the, right. than the answers. We yeah. love to open loops. We, we're not loop closers here on the, on, on the show. Yeah, but, but if you do have input on those, uh, by all means, go to rubyrogues.com and leave a comment. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get a little bit of a discussion going there uh, to see what uh, people think about that stuff. Um, you can also get the show notes there, and there are subscribe buttons on the website as well, so you can get all of that. Uh, we have all of the panelists listed on the right, so you can click on their name and see who's been on which show. And we're also in iTunes, so if you go into iTunes, while you're there, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Um, really, really appreciate that. It it not only helps the show, but it helps us know what, what's going on. And finally, if you have a topic that you'd like to hear about on the show, if you go to the website and click on Request a Topic, um, you can suggest a topic. You can vote up other topics uh, that you think would be good to hear about. And uh, we're going to try and cover some of those as we move along. So... Um, you know, we throw in stuff like this that, you know, nobody really suggested, but, you know, we're trying to, to do both. So if you have a suggestion and we really like it, then we'll run with it. So uh, that, that's about all I have. We will catch you next week. And next week we are going to be talking about one of the topics off of the website. Uh, we're going to be talking about the when, where, and how, and why of metaprogramming. So if that's a topic that you're interested in, then... Uh, Don't do it. It was fun in 2006. No one does it anymore. It's uncool. <laughs> So if you that's why Dr. Nick was not invited for that episode. <laughs> Sorry, and this is coming from the author of Doc Nick's Magic Models, which is just a, a cluster of, of, of MetaMet programming. Yeah, so uh, yeah, if you want to hear about Uncool, come back next week. Thanks. <laughs>